Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Great. Did you, would you believe that 44 years ago yesterday, Northeast Christian had their very first service at Zachary Taylor Elementary School? Could you believe that? Uh, 44 years ago. I was 25, so please don't do the math to figure out how old I am. Don't, don't, don't go there. But it's been what a, what a ride with God, and uh, it's just amazing what he keeps doing uh, here at Northeast. Let's pray. Lord, help us to uh, take a peek at the world we live in, and how do we make a difference in it? How do we act differently? How do we live differently? Help us to hear from you today. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> we live in a uh, very angry world right now, don't we? Yeah. I said, don't we? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, come on. Over the past 20 months, we've all sensed that we're living in what many people are calling the age of rage. We see it everywhere. Remember last month before school started, all the volatile school board meetings, you know, you saw parents screaming at school board officials and school board officials yelling back at the parents, a police having to be called to usher parents out of the meetings, school board officials powering up those meetings. When you watch it, it was like this cauldron of rage. And what about this past Wednesday morning when a 16-year-old JCPS student waiting for his bus at the bus stop was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting? You think we're angry? And what about all the anger that's out there when it comes to the pandemic? Well, I'm angry because I'm being required to wear a mask. Well, I'm angry toward those who refuse to wear a mask. You ever heard or said those words? How about this one? Well, I've had my shot, but those idiots who are stubbornly holding out, not getting vaccinated, what in the world are they thinking they make me so angry? But then the opposite expects we hear, do we, do we really know enough about the vaccines? Do we trust the CDC? Seems to me it's my choice whether I get the shot or not. I've got my freedom, I've got my rights, so stay out of my blankety-blank life. I just hate it. But COVID and what seems like all the political ramifications that come with it, I think has, has made us an angry people. Social media has done the same. Now, I am not on Facebook, but I do stalk my wife's account periodically. <laughs> and friends, I just cannot believe all the anger-inducing stuff that gets posted. It's almost like we're purposely trying to make those who do not agree with me, I'm trying to make you angry. I'll give you two examples. These are pretty mild, but I've, I've watched them. Here they go. Everyone that hates America should move out of America. And this next one. Republican leadership must repudiate Trump's holdout. Our country's respectability is at stake. And here I was thinking we could be proud Americans again. Guess not. Why would you post stuff like that? And if you're a follower of Christ, why in the world would you post stuff like that? Jesus prayed that we'd all be one and that our unity as a church, not our divisiveness, would be what attracts people to him. I'm telling you, it blows me away how nasty and angry we have become with 
even our fellow believers, and most of the time it's over politics, of all things. From what I'm reading, not only is church attendance way down, but people are leaving their home churches that they've been a part of 10, 15, 20 years. Preacher says something that doesn't jive with their politics, they get angry and they leave over politics. Now, if Tyler preaches something contrary to what the Bible teaches, you have every right to leave, I'll leave with you. But to get angry over a political point of view, it breaks my heart, and I think it breaks the heart of God as well. We have become an angry people, and it seems like it is creeping into almost every facet of our lives. I try to walk every single day. And I'll never forget on one of my walks, I passed by a house that I just couldn't help but hear an argument that was taking place inside. A man and a woman were yelling and screaming at each other, and, and I, was, I was just so embarrassed for them. But what upset me the most was that I had told Tyler and Lindsay that they needed to shut the front door, but they wouldn't listen to me. This is true. I officiated a funeral a couple months back before the funeral even began. I couldn't believe it. The police had to be called to calm an ex-wife who was literally screaming and cussing at the family of her ex-husband who was lying in a casket. We're angry people, and it seems to me that very few of us know what to do with our anger. Some of you have been blocked on social media because of your anger and your stupidity. Some of you have lost jobs because of your anger. Some of you destroyed a marriage because of your anger. Some of you have ostracized yourself from your kids because of your anger. Children were asked in a survey, if you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? And the number one answer was, I wish my mom didn't yell at me so much. Today, in what I believe to be a most relevant topic, considering the days in which we live, we're just going to look at what the Bible says about anger. And I'll tell you, there are some really strong verses on this topic. And so right here at the top, I'm going to highlight nine Bible references about anger. And because the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, my hope, friends, is that when you hear and read these verses, that God's word, along with his convicting spirit, will pierce your innermost being. And I say that because my heart has been pierced by these verses. You see, there are still days in my life when I still get angry. Now, I handle it a lot better today than I did in my 20s and 30s, but nevertheless, it still rears its ugly head within me. And so that's why over the past couple months, I sit in my office and read and study these verses. A few of them made me squirm as they were written just for me. And you know something? I have a feeling a few of these verses were probably written for you as, as well. So here we go. Ephesians 4. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anybody go to bed angry last night? Don't raise your hand. We're not asking you to do that right now. James 1. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Anybody here have what we would call a short fuse? And then look what he continues to write. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Does not produce the kind of life that God wants us to live. Proverbs 29, 11. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. When was the last time you bit your tongue when you were angry? Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Control your temper for, this is interesting, for anger labels you a fool. Can you think back to a time in your life when an angry reaction made you look foolish? Have you ever received a harsh email that so ticked you off that immediately you fired back your own nasty email that days later you regret it because you knew it made you look foolish? Proverbs 15, 
A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 30, 33. As the beating of cream yields butter, we know that. And a blow to the nose causes bleeding, we know that. So anger causes quarrels. Proverbs 15. A hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. Colossians 3. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is a time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. As followers of Jesus, this is her saying that each day we should become more like Christ and less like our world. And how do we do that? We start by ridding ourselves, look what it says, of anger and rage and slander and dirty language. Proverbs 22. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Do you have any hot-tempered friends? And one more, and these are the words of Jesus, Matthew 5. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say unto you, Jesus said, Jesus said, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, which we all tend to do when we're angry, you are in danger of being brought before the court, and if you curse someone, you're in, dan- you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now tell me, did anybody wince while I was reading those nine verses? I did, because I think they just come right at you. Now, just in case there's somebody sitting out there that are thinking, well, those verses didn't, didn't apply to me because I don't have that big of a problem with anger, I want to say, really? Because the first step in learning how to manage anger is to admit that you have a problem with it. So I am going to give you, and I know you can't wait for this, an opportunity to admit that periodically you struggle with anger. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to describe for you some real-life scenarios. And what I want you to do is to be honest and raise your hands on the ones that make you angry. Got that? Now this is, we're dealing with truth here. What makes you angry? So you raise your hand. All right, here we go. While you're struggling to carry four cups of coffee back to your office, someone bumps into you, spilling the hot coffee all over you in the floor. Would that make you angry? Come on, raise your hand. This is an angry church. I can't believe the coffee would do that. How about this one? You're stopped at a red light. The light turns green, but the car in front of you does not go because the driver is looking at his or her phone. Would that annoy you enough to lay on the horn? Yes, it would, right? You accidentally make a wrong turn into the Target parking lot. As you get out of your car, a guy yells, Hey, where'd you learn to drive? Raise your hand if that would tick you off. I mean, you know, you, I don't do this, so you kind of want to go, mm, but you, don't, you won't do that. You will, not, you will not do that, right? How about this one? You're waiting in the Kroger Express line that specifically says 10 items or less. The guy in front of you has a car filled to the broom, And you notice he has coupons. Would that anger you? Raise your hand. That drives me crazy. Drives me crazy, all right? It's your anniversary. You have reservations at a very nice restaurant. But when you arrive, you're told that you cannot enter without a mask. Would that upset you? Anybody? Would that upset you? A few? You and your spouse are having a discussion. She says something that lights your fire, and so you respond with a loud derogatory comment. With that, she holds out her hand and says, I'm done with you, and she walks away and refuses to talk to you the remainder of the day. Would that make anybody angry? Come on, raise your hands. All right. By the way, exploding is just one type of anger. There are just so many ways to convey anger, how we look at somebody, how we don't look at somebody, how we speak to somebody, how we don't speak to somebody. How we touch them, how we don't touch them. Sarcasm, 
passive aggressiveness. It is all every bit as sinful as exploding in wrath. Last one. You're at a church service. It's supposed to be over in five minutes, but the preacher is still on his first point, droning on and on as if he could go on for another hour, but he is an extremely well-built young man. Anybody? I'll raise my hand on that one. All right. <laughs> and I'm fairly confident that every head in this room hopefully went up at least once. And if yours didn't, then I encourage you to be here next week when uh, Tyler talks about what the Bible says about lying. All right? <laughs> so we all get angry at times, some of us more than others. So the question is, how do we manage our anger? How do we learn to deal with it under the shadow of the cross? How do we learn to deal with it in a godly way? Well, let me say one thing here at the top, and then I'm going to walk you through six steps to managing your anger in a God-honoring way. And the first thing I want to say, and it's probably the most important thing I'm going to say all day, you cannot avoid anger by just trying to avoid anger. If your heart and my heart has not been transformed by the love of Jesus, anger and sin will triumph and sneak out of us in a, in a thousand unique ways. And that's because, hear me, friends, our hearts have to first be transformed by God. And then and only then will we be able to successfully walk through the six steps I'm going to talk about. So you might want to get a piece of paper out so you can write these six steps. It might be helpful. Step number one, stop. <laughs> when your inner gauge reads red hot, delay response, buy some time, stop, cool down. Now, I think that's easy to say, hard to do. Now, the reason this first step is so difficult is because when you and I get angry, our heart starts pumping, our blood pressure increases, the adrenaline starts to flow, and we just don't think straight. Some psychologists call it cognitive incapacitation. I prefer to call it the Jim Carrey effect. As we get mad and madder, we get dumb and dumber. I mean, have you noticed that? When we get angry, we say some really stupid things. You never do anything right. I don't know why I married you in the first place. Why can't you be normal like all the other kids? You're one of those right-wingers, aren't you? You worthless piece of... Now, have you noticed that oftentimes anger involves the language of filth? Stupid, stupid words. And yet that's the kind of stuff that comes pouring out of our mouths when we get angry. And that's why the first step in managing anger is to stop. Proverbs 14 People with a hot temper do foolish things. Look what it says. Wiser people remain calm. When your inner gauge reads red hot, stop. Just stop. Count to ten. Get out of the house. Take a walk. Do something to give yourself time to cool down. How many of us need to hear that? Once you've stopped and cooled down, you're ready for step two, and that is to look in the mirror. For years, experts have tried to get us to believe that there are two main categories of things that trigger us and cause us to get angry. The first category, they say, would be stupid, inanimate objects. Your shoelace breaks when you're trying to tie it. Of course, you're in a hurry. And what do you say? Oh, it's stupid shoelace. An ATM swallows your card. Oh, dumb ATM machine. Computers that eat your files. Toys in boxes marked easy to assemble. 
How about this one? You wait for an elevator and it doesn't come and you're in a hurry. So instead of pushing the button once, what do you do? You push it repeatedly on the theory that that stupid elevator will sense your urgency and bypass all the other people on the other floors. Stupid, inanimate objects. They just make me so mad. Second thing that supposedly triggers me, uh, triggers my anger is people. You make me mad. The umpire makes me mad. My wife makes me mad. Biden makes me mad. Trump makes me mad. Hear me. My wife does not cause me to get angry. The umpire does not cause me to get angry. UK winning their fourth straight football game, that ticks me off. You hear me? (laughs) Just kidding. Had to throw it out there. All right. Do not send me emails. Please do not send me emails. The truth is, don't miss this now. Come back to me. In between my wife and my anger, in between Biden and Trump and my anger, is my interpretation, my perception of what's taken place. When our daughters were little, we would always leave for Florida the day before Thanksgiving, and we'd drive straight through to be with Vicki's parents in, in Florida. And it really always made for an interesting trip, especially when your youngest daughter is a tease and knew how to push her older sister's buttons. I think we were somewhere near Atlanta when I heard Stephanie say for about the hundredth time, Lindsay, stop it. Mom and Dad, make her quit. Have you ever heard that in a car before on a long trip? Now, I had tried several times to get Lindsay to stop bugging her sister. I had tried the happy talk approach. Lindsay, you and your, you and your sister are going to have so much fun this Thanksgiving. Why don't you just be friends? Well, that didn't work, so I tried bribing her. Lindsay, I got a bag of Skittles up here in the front seat. They're yours if you leave your sister alone. I even tried threatening her, right? Lindsay, if you don't leave your sister alone, I'm going to stop the car. I'm going to spank your butt. To no avail, she just kept at it. Now, I have to add here that our oldest daughter, Stephanie, knew how to milk it. And so I knew it wasn't all Lindsay's fault. Yet Lindsay was the one at the time I was angry with. So I remember reaching into the back seat. I can remember this clear as day. Reaching in the back seat, grabbing her Barbie, her favorite Barbie. And Lindsay was a big-time Barbie girl. And I said, Lindsay, you really love this Barbie, don't you? And she said, yes. I said, well, Lindsay, if you ever want to see Barbie again, and with that, I rode down the window. (laughs) What would make a grown man resort to that kind of thing? (laughs) I was angry. Now, here's a question. Did Lindsay force me to be angry? No, of course she didn't. She was just a kid. Promised them with me. I don't want to be bothered. I've been driving for eight hours. I was tired. I just didn't want to put up with it anymore. Lindsay didn't make me angry. My thoughts made me angry. I could have had other thoughts. I could have had thoughts like when you're a little kid, you get tired of sitting. When you're a kid, you got a lot of nervous energy that needs to get out once in a while. I mean, I could have had Lindsay and Vicki trade places, except I didn't want her in the front seat bucking me. <laughs> I could have had other thoughts. I did not have to get angry. So what made me angry? What made me mad? Friends, anger is not caused by inanimate things in other people. No, no, no. What makes me mad? I make me mad. And to make sure you understand this point, we are going to say those words together. I make me so mad. So on the count of three, I want you to say it with me with feeling, all right? One, two, three. I make me so mad. Good. So this week coming up, When you're in a big argument with somebody at home or at work, and when it gets to the point when you're ready to unleash your harshest words and just spew anger, you're going to look that person dead in the eye, stick your finger out, and you're going to say to that person, with feeling, right? You see, 
I must take responsibility for my anger and you must take responsibility for yours. What makes me mad? It's the man or woman in the mirror. That's what makes me mad. Don't forget that. After you've stopped and realized you make you mad, the next step is to ask, so why am I angry? Now, this is a picture of a smoke detector, and most, most of us have these things in our homes. Now, tell me, what's the purpose of a smoke detector? To warn us, to signal us something's wrong. Now, don't miss this. Anger is like the smoke detector of our bodies. It exists to warn us or to signal us that something, something needs fixing deep inside. Now, what I'm about to share with you, I probably learned 30 years ago, one of the most helpful discoveries of my life. And here it is. Anger is always a second emotion. Anger is never the initial problem. Anger is the smoke alarm going off, warning me that there's a deeper problem that I better deal with, that there's another emotion going on deep inside I better get a handle on. Anger is never the primary emotion. Instead, anger is always the result of hurt, frustration, disappointment, and fear. Those are first emotions. Which means if I'm going to deal with my anger under the shadow of the cross, then I better figure out what's underneath my anger, what's down below the surface. Now I'm going to give you a couple of real life events that lead to anger. And what I want you to do is to tell me what's underneath the anger. Is it hurt, frustration, disappointment, or fear? All right, here we go. First one. You ask someone of the opposite sect that you're attracted to out on a date. And their response to you is, I'm not going to go out with you because I just don't find you attractive, though I could be wrong. You are flat out rejected. Now you experience anger, but what's underneath it? What's underneath it? It's hurt. You feel hurt. See how it works? Second one. You're going to church and you're running late. You were ready on time, but the person you're coming with is just always late. <clears throat> So you drive as fast as you can to get here, but unfortunately, all the close-in parking spots are taken. After walking what seems to be a quarter of a mile, you run into the auditorium to hear a sermon on anger, and as you're stepping over people to get in your seat, the person at the end of the aisle says, I'm sorry, but these seats are saved. You can't sit here. Now, what do you experience? Anger on the surface, but what's underneath it? Frustration because of pace of life issues. Frustration is the first emotion, but it comes out in the second emotion, anger. One more. It's the middle of the night. It's pitch dark. Suddenly downstairs there's a loud thumping noise like someone is walking around bumping into things like someone has broken into your house. Now, according to the United States Constitution, who's supposed to go check it out, the husband or the wife? <laughs> and so my wife says to me, what's that noise? And I say, I don't hear anything, although I have to say it very loudly so she can hear me over the thumping noise downstairs. And then she says, I know, I know what it is. I heard about it on the radio. Some guy's loose in our city. Some axe-welding, bloodthirsty, homicidal maniac. maniac. Go check it out. <laughs> All righty then, I'll just go down there in my fruit of the looms. That'll scare him. <laughs> and then I remember, hey, we're partners in this marriage. You go down. And she says, I can't go down. I'm in my nightgown. I have no makeup on. I can't go down there. So we get angry about who's supposed to go check it out and whether there's a noise or not. What's underneath the anger? Fear. Absolutely. Do you see why it's so important to stop and ask, why am I angry? To figure out what's really going on under the anger. Friends, if you don't do this, you'll end up only dealing with your anger on a surface level. You'll never get to the root of the problem, which is always fear, frustration, disappointment, or hurt. Step four. 
Listen. Put yourself in the place of the other person. Make an honest attempt to understand them. This comes right out of the New Testament book of James. Dear friends, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Have you noticed that one of the hardest things to do when you're upset is to listen? The other night, I purposely watched Fox News, and then I watched MSNBC, and both networks, like they do, had a conservative and a progressive discussing a controversial issue of the day. And it was crazy to me. As you, as you, they, they both got angry, and then they both got loud, and then they both started talking over each other, and then neither one of them heard what the other person was trying to say. Friends, the angrier we get, the more we want to talk and the less we want to listen. What does James say? If you're quick to listen, slow to speak, you're going to be slow to anger. But if you're quick to jump in and you're not very good at listening, you're going to be, you're going to be quick to get angry. We must cultivate the habit of listening instead of thinking. And don't we do this? What can I say that's going to help me win the argument? I don't hear a thing you're saying, but I want to say something. What I'm going to say next is going to win the argument. You've got to focus instead. What is that person saying? And I need to try to understand. Proverbs 7.26, even fools seem smart when they are quiet. All right, you stop, you look in the mirror, you ask, why am I angry? You listen, then you rethink. This may be, may be different for you. Step five is rethinking. Have you noticed that when we get angry that we all have a tendency to jump to our own conclusions about whatever's going on in the argument? And that most of our conclusions are so far away from the truth. I'll give you a biblical example. In the Old Testament, Old Testament book of Joshua, the 12 tribes of Israel all work together and they conquer the promised land. I love maps. I don't know if you know that, but I, I love maps. Now, I want you to really look at this because the land is then divided into 12 geographical areas. Pretty interesting. But I want you to notice right now when you look, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, their land is east of the Jordan River. Do you see that? East of the river. So after all the battles have been fought and the promised land has been conquered, the nine and a half tribes who settle west of the Jordan River encourage the two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh to head home and establish their land east of the river. Now, when these two and a half tribes get to the Jordan River, instead of immediately crossing the river, they decide to stop and build an altar on the western side of the river. It might have looked something like this. Who knows? And then once their altar was completed, the Bible says the two and a half tribes then crossed the river. All right? They crossed into their land. Now look at this. Joshua 22. When the rest of Israel heard that they had built the altar at Gileloth, west of the Jordan River, in the land of Canaan, the whole assembly gathered in Shiloh and prepared to go to war against their brother tribes. What in the world? Verse 13. First, however, they sent a delegation led by Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest. They crossed the river to talk with the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The whole community of the Lord wants to know why you're betraying the God of Israel. How could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar of rebellion to him? You see what's happening? The nine-and-a-half tribes are angry at the two-and-a-half tribes, and so they jump to their own conclusion, and they conjure up this crazy story about their brothers who they had just served side-by-side with in battle. And now they want to go to war against them. It's crazy. Verse 21. Then the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered, The Lord alone is God. The Lord alone is God. 
We have not built the altar in rebellion against the Lord. If we have done so, do not spare our lives this day. Verse 24. We have built this altar because we fear that in the future your descendants will say to ours, What right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and yours. You have no claim to the Lord. So we decided to build the altar, not for burnt sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary. So it was a good thing what these two and a half tribes were doing. And to think, the other nine and a half tribes almost went to war with them because they were angry and they jumped to the wrong conclusion. And we all do it, don't we? We get angry, and then, and then we take this big jump in our brain as to why. Over the past year, I've had people say to me, Bob, the young man you selected to replace you, Tyler, I think he leans left. And when I hear that, I say, look, Tyler's still young. He has passion. He has conviction. Knows his Bible, studies it all the time. And yes, he probably talked a lot more about politics and current cultural events that I would have talked about a lot more. But because he's a cause man and believes that we Christians need to make a difference in our current culture, he just kept pounding it. And as a result, some people got upset and they started jumping to their own conclusions about Northeast and Tyler. Look, friends, if you know anything at all about the Christian church, you know that we have several slogans. One of my favorites is this one. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. Which means we're going to teach what the Bible says. We're going to teach what the Bible says about the sanctity of life. We're going to teach what the Bible says about the sanctity of marriage. We're going to teach what the Bible says about justice. But what the Bible does not say, like whether you can dance or not, like whether you should wear a mask or not, like whether we should defund the police or not, hear me. You can have your opinion, and I can have my opinion, and we can disagree, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we agree to disagree in love, and we stay united. Another Christian church slogan that's been around for 100 years is this one. It's a little deeper. In matters of faith, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. But in all things, love. In all things, love. When we get angry, we must rethink. We must stop and ask ourselves, is what I'm thinking true or have I jumped to a wrong conclusion? It is such an important step to managing anger in a God-honoring way. And let me give you four little words that will help you rethink. You ready? Here they come. Here they are. I could be wrong. I'm sure this never happens at your house, but when Vicki and I get angry at each other, I think I'm right and she's wrong, and she thinks she's right and I'm wrong. And over time, what we've discovered is that when we're in the midst of an angry conversation, it helps when one of us says, okay, I could be wrong. Have you ever said those words? For some of you, including my wife, it's been a long, long time. (laughs) And so that's why I'm going to ask all of you to say those little words out loud together. All right, here we go. Now, some of you did not look very happy when you said those words. And friends, it will not help if you say, I could be wrong. (laughs) So let's say it again, only this time we're going to smile and say it pleasantly. Okay, here we go. Ready? Now, don't you feel better now? Yeah. When you get angry, hear me, you've got to program your thinking. 
Philippians 4.8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. All right, you stop, you look in the mirror, you ask, you listen, rethink, and the last step is you go. And this idea here, the idea here is to take appropriate action. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. You look at in between those verses, in those words, and it's saying, take some action. After you've stopped, after you've asked why, after you've listened, after you've refocused mind, you've got to follow through. Hear me. You've got to deal with the hurt. You've got to deal with the frustration. You've got to deal with the fear. Friends, anger, don't miss this, is a signal for action. And yes, perhaps you need to deal with whatever is going on inside of you. But more than likely... You need to deal with the people who you're angry with. If you're, if you're one of those who bottles things, everything in, sometime or another, you're going to have to confront those who make you angry. You're going to have to do that. And if you're a volcano, spewing may make you feel angry, but it does nothing to resolve the conflict. In the early days of our marriage, Vicki and I had no idea how to fight fair. None. Grew up in two different homes. We get into an argument because I'm wound up fairly tight and want to fix things. I'd raise my voice. I'd press hard to get the argument settled. Vicki, on the other hand, she'd get real quiet and just shut her down. And her shutting down infuriated me. And so for the first couple of years, we get in a disagreement. It wasn't pretty. I was loud, and she was always walking away. But one day when we weren't angry, we decided to talk about the way we argued. And it was Vicki who said, tell you what, when, when you're pressing me really hard, I'm going to tell you when you're pressing me too hard. And when I do that, I'm going to ask you to please back off and give me some space. Now, initially, I didn't like that idea. Because I knew she'd never come back to the table and settle the argument. So I said, how about this? You let me know that I'm pressing too hard. I promise I'll back off. I'll be quiet. I'll go to another room. I promise I'll give you space. But you have to promise me that within 24 hours, after we've both had time to cool down, that we'll come back together and settle the argument. Vicki said, okay, let's give it a try. And we did. One of the best decisions we've ever made. For it gave me time to calm down. It gave her time to process. And it gave us time to rationally think it through and to take appropriate action. All right. Stop. Look in the mirror. Ask. Listen. Rethink. Go. Friends, I'm telling you, when you and I learn to walk through these six steps under the shadow of the cross, I guarantee it will have a profound effect upon your life, your family's life, our church's life, and who knows, maybe even our angry world. Now, this time we're going to say goodbye to our online audience. We appreciate you. We thank you so much for joining us. And my words to you are, as you be wise this week, you be very, very wise uh, when you get angry. Be wise.